I've spoken a lot so far about June 15, 1988, the day that Doreen went missing, and a lot about June 18, 1988, the day that she was reported missing, after her mother Donna came to the house on Whirlwind Hill Road to pick her up. But I haven't spoken much yet about the two days in between, or the days that followed after the 18th. So in this episode, I'm going to address exactly that. The interesting thing about this is that the source that accounts for the timeline of events during those dates is a search and seizure warrant dated July 1989. This is what I mean when I say that in order to tell Doreen Vincent's story, you often have to jump forward and then go back again. Doreen's father, Mark Vincent, had a criminal past. He was a convicted felon, actually, and therefore was not legally permitted to own or possess a firearm. Well, in July 1989, Mark was found to be in possession of a gun. But before I get too ahead of myself, I'm going to let you hear from Donna and her sisters again, so they can explain to you in their own words what life was like when Mark Vincent was a part of their lives. And we'll start with the day that we first made contact with Donna. And later, we'll read the details of the search and seizure warrant to you. This is Season 2, Episode 6 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. At the end of December, my executive producer Joe Aguirre had a lengthy initial conversation with Donna over the phone. When Joe asked Donna what her relationship to Mark's wife Sharon was like, the born-again Christian factor came up almost immediately. And Donna had some things to say about Mark's role in all of that. What was your relationship with Sharon? Sharon? Yeah. What about her? What was your relationship? Did you guys generally get along? Was there much communication between the two of you or... There wasn't a lot because he did not stay with her long. He ended up, I guess, cheating and going his way or whatever. Um, but I liked her. I really did like her. She was a very nice person. Um, I found her to be very honest. And that was like supposedly his born-again Christian days, which is bull because he started out as an atheist when I was with him, and now all of a sudden he was a born-again Christian when he, she, he was with her, which I didn't believe for a minute. But that's what she was. And at that point, the conversation shifted towards what Mark was like in the early days. I read in one of the articles, uh, I know you guys got married when you were 16, um, but that you guys uh, disagreed on child rearing, like raising a child. And I, I, I was curious what that meant. What raising Doreen meant? Yeah, like that you guys disagreed on the style or, or the method in some way. Oh, he was real. He was so 
strict. I remember she used to pick her diaper when she was like, maybe I'd say about one, you know? She'd pick her diaper and if it had feces in it, she'd pick it and it'd be all over the place. He felt like he needed to punish her, you know? And I remember him putting her in a cold bath and I'm like, what are you doing? Are you absolutely insane? You don't do that to a one-year-old. It was abuse. It was absolutely... So I took a lot on and he's like, don't, stop. You need, don't even try this, you know. But he was very, very, very strict to a, to a serious fault. And uh, he was mean and... He was awful, absolutely awful. He was an awful person all the way around. I mean, he uh, stole, he gave me a ring, and because he was obsessed with me, absolutely obsessed with me. And he gave me this diamond ring. Little did I know, he stole it from his mother and gave it to me. And then when we split up, I gave it back to him because it meant nothing to me. And um, he sold it. He sold his mother's name. I mean, he, got he gave it to me. His mother didn't know he stole it from her. He, he had guns in the house. He was into guns. He was into selling. Like, he never had a regular job for the most part. Never. Because he was, you know, extremely handy. So he would, um, what he would do is he'd do odd jobs. So when the day came that we met Donna and the rest of the family at her house... I wanted to know more about Donna and Mark in the early days. Well, I was in school, and we had, like, a mutual friend. And okay. he was over there one day, and that's how we met, over at our friend Bobby's house. It was the guy's name, Bobby's house. Okay, and were you two, the two of you, Mark, and you got married around that we time? We got married when I got pregnant, um, and it, it took we were together over a year, maybe a year, Okay. we got married. What was your first impression of Mark? Was he charismatic? He was charming. And then, you know, I was, like I said, 16 years, 15, 16 years old. I wanted to be with my friends. And everywhere I turned, he was there. And, and that really did bother me, you know. And it, it bothered me. He mm -hmm. was very possessive, very jealous. Um... And I really kind of didn't want to be with him. And then I got pregnant, and it just snowballed from there. I mean, okay. you're young, you're dumb, you're you're in a situation, and, and it yeah. just goes from there. So in the early years, uh, what was the relationship like once you guys got married? Did it Was it a happy uh, home life at first, or did it start to... Um, did it start to go go sour at any point? Um, in the beginning, I mean, I guess it was all right. I would never say it was happy. Um, it, it was it was just. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he was my husband, and we had a kid, and that's it. It wasn't. I I I, I will not say. I, I don't believe I was ever in love with him okay um i was too young to even know what love was at the time okay. and he was obsessed he was absolutely obsessed he um 
he would follow me. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't do anything. He didn't want me to wear certain clothing. And when, when at first it's flattering when something like that is happening, you know. But then you realize, God, this guy don't let me breathe. I can't stand it. Well, I think that's kind of like a, when, you know, you're young, 16 years old. And I guess like also young girls, too. Right. It's like I think right. that we, we're sort of like that. That We don't know how to differentiate that that attention like love versus obsessive behavior. Absolutely. You're yeah. right. You're right. You had said before that you guys' parenting style was different. Yeah, I was sort of, I was kind of easygoing. Um, like, uh, she used to, when she was a baby, she'd be in her crib and she'd get up and, and she'd pick her diaper. And uh-huh. anyway, I have feces in it. It would just be all over. It was just a mess. And I remember one time him putting her in a cool bath, you know, a cold bath, actually. And I'm like, what are you doing? She is. She wasn't even two years old at the time. And, I mean, that, that was... Uh, now it's abusive. Then, I, 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 I don't yeah. know what I thought it was. I it may, I guess I in, in my mind, in my simple mind at that time I thought it was abusive too and I and I didn't I don't know you know took her out of the tub you can you know you can't do that forget it you know um you know in hindsight so many things were so wrong with him and the way that he you know wanted to rear her and just so many things were wrong so many he was just such a obsessive and was he like controlling very oh very oh yeah you can't wear that shirt it's see-through that shirt's too low you know those jeans are too tight uh whatever oh it was bad yeah so how long were the two of you married legally probably maybe five years i'm gonna say um but we weren't together all that time it was totally off and on and probably off and on for three years um and I, I just couldn't take it. He didn't want me to work, uh, he, and and I insist I went out and I got a job anyways. Um, he, he, I just couldn't take it that he was stifling me. It was like I was in prison. So since Donna brought up the incident with Doreen and the cold bath, and continued to tell me that Mark had been controlling and possessive, I asked if there was ever any other abusive behavior. He never hit me. Okay. He did not hit me, but I remember one time he got really angry with me, and he did pull a gun on me. But okay. he did, he did, he shot the gun, but he didn't shoot it at me. I mean, we were as close as you was at, and he went like that and shot the gun like that. But um, as far as being, you know, abuse, no, he was no. not. He didn't hit me, and he was emotionally abusive, totally, okay. totally. So it was emotional. more of a mental thing, absolutely. not not physically. Absolutely. Later on, when I spoke to Donna's sisters, Carol and Debbie, I asked them what they remember of the early years when Donna and Mark were together. Here's Debbie. It was pretty intense in the beginning because I remember um, just finding out that Donna was pregnant and Mom and Debbie and my parents Mm -hmm. were pretty upset because... He -hmm. was older, much older than her. Mm -hmm. Because I think that Donna told me that um, he's about three or so years older than her, so she was a 16-year-old girl, and he's 19. He's like mm-hmm. a 19-year-old guy. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, when they actually had her, I think she was 15, and he was 18. So they were okay. pretty, you know, basically they, they were going to get married or maybe 
try to give the baby up for adoption. Okay, and Make you said that marriage. your parents were very angry about this. Well, how did they feel about Mark? They, they were angry at first. Okay. Yeah. They weren't happy with him. Okay. But, but then they were very supportive. When they decided okay. they were going to get married and have the baby, they were very supportive. They moved everywhere we moved. Mm -hmm. um, in the basement. They always fixed up a place for them. Yeah. So it was sort of like it seemed like things were coming together at that point. Like they were part of the family. Yeah. yeah he was they just accepted. Trying. They were trying mm -hmm. to accept him and the whole situation, help him. Because they still wanted her to go to school. And you said that you spent a lot of time babysitting Doreen to like how many people were living in the house at one time? All of us. Oh, everybody, my, just my, parents, everybody together. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. my we lived upstairs, brother. they lived down. Meanwhile, in the living room, Donna continued on with Jessica and Joe. It's not like I I cared about them or anything. I, yeah. I, I mean, I. I I didn't. You're I didn't not like pining him. for him, right? Oh my God, no! I don't think I was from the day we got married. And she said before. This is telling you can kind of uh, yep. expand uh, on this. You said you don't think you were ever in love with him. Uh uh You didn't. Even I know, know what that I was. wasn't. I know I wasn't. He. What happened was, he was the first boy. Okay, I ever went out with because I wasn't really allowed to date. I was only 15 years old. And then, I, you know, I get pregnant, 16, 15 years old, whatever it was. And next thing you know, I felt like, you know, I was being pressured to get married because now I'm pregnant. So mm -hmm. now I got to get married. And, and that's kind of the way it went. Mm -hmm. Not that I was pining <clears throat> over him. I could, I, I don't think I ever really even, I, even when, okay, when, when we were dating, okay, I, you know, I'd be out with my friends, you know, which is where you want to go when you're a 15, 16 year old girl. You want to be out with your friends. We're out there and we're having, doing whatever we're doing. And I'd see his car ride by, you know, because he was 19. I was only like 15, 16. So, you know, I'd see his car ride by and I'd be hiding from <laughs> I would because I don't want to be bothered like that. I want to have fun. And then I go and get pregnant and then we go and get married and... I, like I said, I, I I was not in love with him. I, I I wasn't. I didn't know what love. Who knows what love is at sixteen years old? You know. How do you think he felt about you? I think he was obsessed. I he was obsessed with me. Mm -hmm. He made me insane. He he did. I mean, I was like seventeen years old. I want a job. You know, I just yeah. had a kid. You think I want to sit home with a kid all day? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sixteen years old. I want. I got to get out. You know. And I got a job. I said, mm, basically, the hell with you. I'm going to get a job, and you're going to be babysitting, or somebody's going to be babysitting, because I got to get I had gotten a job at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I, then I got a job um, in 1980, it was. It was 1980, because mm -hmm. I had gotten a job at Fairfield Hills, and that was a state employee, and I was mm -hmm. so proud. I was making $4.58 an hour to start there in 1980. That was good, then. And that was good money. And it was early, because I started in March of 1980. Yep. And... Um, and I remember he put me down so much because I had a job. He thought it was horrible, you know. You should be working for yourself. Blah, blah, blah. I working got a job there. Working for yourself doing what? Well, he used to work for himself. He used because he is, and I got a, he, he could do carpentry. I'm so cold all the time. I got the shivers. He could do carpentry. He could do anything. He's jack of all trades, mm -hmm. master of none, but <laughs> yeah. he is. But he, um, he could do it. 
Yeah. He could. He was he was very good with his hands. Do you think he had any formal training or he just kind of sees it? There no, he just saw it. it. He just did it. I remember one time he got pissed off at me at my parents' house. And um, this was in New Fairfield. And he hit hit a hammer through a wall, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's my parents' house. You know, now, now I'm mad at him, you know, and everything. So he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to build a, um, a cabinet in there. So he built like a cabinet in there. And, yeah. So he was never abusive. Was he, were you scared? You think no. He, no. I, I, I'm not going to say I was scared, afraid of him, because I really wasn't. I, I really didn't have any respect for him. I really didn't want him. I could care less, you know, go, whatever, you know, do whatever you're going to do, whatever. Um, I, I didn't, I, I, I just... I just got married because everybody kind of pressured me into it, you know, because I, I was think she was really scared of him until after Doreen went missing, and then I think she realized... Well, I know that he has, like, he shot, I told him, you know, he um, he got pissed off at me one time, and like about, we're about this far away, and he pulled a gun on me, and he shot it over there. I, it didn't, I just, I, it didn't even scare me, because I just knew that he wouldn't shoot me. I knew that... You know, he he was just being a, I don't know. Did you know he had a gun? Oh God, the man was obsessed with guns. Yes, he was. He loved his guns. Yeah. So he's a collector too, like. He's... I don't know if he was a collector, but because I hate guns, so he never showed me all of them. But I'd see him every now and then he'd have a gun. We were talking before about people who like snap, right? They, there's a moment where they like just try to suck all the air out of the room to get that control back. Do you remember what you guys were talking about or fighting about when that gun, when he shot? No, I don't. Did you? What no, did you I say don't. to him when he did that? Uh, well, probably told him he was an asshole yeah. or something like that. But I, I was never like. Sometimes you know you, you <clears throat> when you get pushed like that far down and you're, you're being pushed, pushed, you don't even care. It's just like you know, get away from me. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I, I just can't stand you. You know, it, it, go ahead, shoot. You know, you feel, you know. You get like that, but it's—it's. I, it's, I don't know. It's just so hard to describe. I—I I can't stand him though. I—I I loathe the man. It, it, you know. I would too. I if he if he were dying, I just want him to say what he did. Tell the truth mm -hmm. about what you did. That's all. Other other. I wouldn't spit on him if he were on fire. So now we know how Donna and Mark first got together. And by all accounts, Mark was not physically abusive. It seemed that Mark was more about control and intimidation, enough to fire a gun past Donna's head as a means to regain control. It takes me back to something that veteran Bridgeport cop Mike Bouchard said to me about the house on Whirlwind Hill Road back in episode four. How the house was designed to keep people from getting out, such as with the double-sided lock on the front door and later taking the phone off the wall. So to give you more background on Mark, let's begin with why he was not legally allowed to possess a firearm. The reason is because in the early 1970s, while in New York, Mark committed arson. He burned down a bar, though there were no people inside at the time. He also committed burglary, and we later found out from Donna that he had robbed a phone booth. 
He was convicted on those charges and sent to prison. It is reported that during this time in prison is when Mark became a born-again Christian. You will also find that most reports online about Doreen talk about how Mark and Sharon had split later that same summer. So I'm going to read to you now our timeline, which was put together by Jessica Fritz Aguirre, beginning with July 13th, 1988, almost a month after Doreen disappeared. July 13, 1988. Mark Vincent enters the Silver City Sporting Arms Shop in Meriden alone and browses through the counters. The source for this is a brief for the state of Connecticut drafted by Assistant State's Attorney Leah Hawkley. July 14, 1988. This is the next day. Sharon Vincent enters Silver City Sporting Arms and immediately walks to the counter where the gun she purchased was located. She chose the gun she wanted without asking any questions. She then filled out an application to purchase a revolver. This is the same source drafted by Leah Hawkley. July 19, 1988. This is the date of the Record Journal article titled, Family Offers Reward to Find Missing Daughter. $5,000 is offered, and Donna is quoted as saying, the police are working on a few things, but they have just about run out of leads. July 26, 1988. Mark and Sharon Vincent go back to Silver City Sporting Arms to purchase the gun after the application to purchase the gun had been approved by the State Police Weapons Division. This is also from the brief by Leah Hawkley. November. 1988. Mark Vincent moves out of the house on Whirlwind Hill Road in Wallingford and moves in with a woman named Roseanne Poloni, leaving no forwarding address with the Wallingford police. November 22, 1988. Sharon sells the gun back to Silver City Sporting Arms, and this is according to the Silver City Consignment Agreement. November 23, 1988. Sharon returns to Silver City Sporting Arms and asks for the gun back, and this is also according to the Consignment Agreement. So now we move forward to June of 1989, one year after Doreen went missing. There's a domestic disturbance between Mark and Roseanne Poloni, which she reports to the Wallingford police. This was the first time since Mark moved from the house on Whirlwind Hill that police knew where he was. When asked why he made himself so unavailable, especially in light of the fact that his daughter was missing, Mark said that he didn't want Sharon, who was now his estranged wife, to call him. Also in 1989, the date is unspecified, but Sharon moved out of the house on Whirlwind Hill Road and Donna took possession of Doreen's bedroom set, which included four curtains, a canopy bed, a dresser, pillows, and a cloth bed canopy. And when Donna asked Sharon where the matching missing bedspread was, Sharon told Donna that Mark had thrown it out because Doreen had, quote, messed it up. And during this time, Sharon also took possession of some items that belonged to Doreen. As inexplicable as that may seem just at face value, it's even more troubling when you find out that the items that Sharon took are all items that Doreen was reported to have taken with her when she left. Everything that I just read for you was found by Jessica Fritz Aguirre at the Connecticut Law Library. This was three days after we met Donna and the family. It was also this day that she found the warrant for the gun. We'll have that for you up next.
If you'd like to help me solve Doreen's case, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find us on patreon.com slash fadedoutpodcast. You can donate monthly and you can choose any amount that you like. There are rewards for your generosity based on how much you decide to give, including my weekly blog, which I put out the day after every new episode, also including exclusive photos, exclusive documents, behind-the-scenes material that you won't find anywhere else. When you help us, you help us give a voice to Doreen Vincent. So please join us on Patreon. Thank you. The date on the search and seizure warrant is July 31st, 1989, and it was served to Mark Vincent, who at the time was living at his mother Lori's house on Sunset Hill Road in Bethel, Connecticut. Now, it's important to note that the items described in here are not gospel. There are a few inaccuracies, which I will address at the end. The heading on the document reads, Connecticut Superior Court, property seized under search warrant. The details are as follows. On the second page, it reads, Acts establishing grounds for issuing a search and seizure warrant are the following. 1. The undersigned officers, Sergeant Thomas Hanley and Detective Robert Fliss, duly sworn, do depose and state they are members of the Wallingford Police Department and have been members of said department for a combined total of approximately 19 years prior to the date hereof, and at all times mentioned hereof were acting as members of said department, and the following facts and circumstances are stated from personal knowledge and observations, as well as from information received from brother officers acting in their official capacity. 2. On June 18, 1988, a complaint was received from Mark Vincent, date of birth August 19, 1956, at 1316 Whirlwind Hill Road, Wallingford, relative to the disappearance of his daughter Doreen Vincent, age 12. During the investigation of this complaint, the following information was obtained. A. That on June 5, 1988, Mark Vincent moved to 1316 Whirlwind Hill Road, Wallingford, with his wife Sharon Vincent, their two young children, Paul and Sarah, and Mark's daughter from a previous marriage, Doreen Vincent, age 12. Doreen Vincent's mother, Donna Jones, lived and still lives in Waterbury. B. That on June 15, 1988, at approximately 6.15 p.m., Sharon Vincent left the house on Whirlwind Hill Road to go to a church service in West Haven leaving Mark Vincent at home with Doreen and the two young children. Sharon drove their Ford LTD to West Haven, leaving Mark his truck, which is a 1977 brown Chevy pickup truck. Connecticut Combination Registration 102 CDT. C. That at approximately 11.30 p.m. on June 15, 1988, Sharon Vincent arrived home and found Mark Vincent in the kitchen of their home, getting a cup of coffee. Mark appeared somewhat agitated and asked her where she was, as she was expected home at 10 p.m. Sharon apologized to Mark for being late and stated she was at church. At this time, Mark told her he was glad she was home, that Dorian was missing and he was going to look for her at her mother's house in Waterbury. Sharon stated Mark left, driving the Chevy pickup truck, and did not return until many hours later, which she believed to be approximately 3 a.m. on June 16, 1988. He said nothing to Sharon when he returned. D. 
that sometime prior to 7 a.m. on June 16, 1988, only a few hours after he arrived home, Mark told Sharon to take the kids and get out of the house, in case something happened. He also told her not to mention that Doreen was missing to Doreen's mother, in case she called later. Sharon took the children and left the home. She did not return until later that afternoon. E. That on June 16, 1988, at approximately 9 p.m., Donna Jones, preparing to pick up Doreen for her weekly visitation, which was not made on the previous weekend, called the Vincent home. However, not knowing they had moved to Wallingford from their previous home in Bridgeport, she called their Bridgeport telephone number, only to find out from the operator that it had been changed to a Wallingford telephone number. With that information, Donna called the Wallingford number for Mark Vincent and spoke to Sharon Vincent. Donna requested to speak with Doreen, but Sharon simply told her that Doreen was not at home. Donna then told Sharon she would be coming over to pick up Doreen on Saturday, June 18th. She then got directions on how to find the house on Whirlwind Hill Road from Sharon. Donna stated that the phone just rang continuously when she called and she never got through. Both Mark and Sharon Vincent stated in a later interview that Mark had removed the phone from the wall so that Donna wouldn't call them. The telephone was off the wall on Friday and Saturday, June 17th and 18th, 1988. G. On a Saturday evening, June 18, 1988, Donna arrived at the Vincent home at approximately 7 p.m. She found that Sharon was home with the two small children, and Mark was mowing the lawn. As she pulled into the driveway, Mark approached her, asked her where Doreen was, and she stated she did not know. It was at this point that Mark told Donna that Doreen had run away. Donna told Mark to call the police, and he refused. Finally, at Donna's insistence, Mark called the police to report Doreen missing. This was after Donna had been at the Vincent home for approximately one hour. H. At the time the report was made, Mark Vincent stated Doreen was last seen in the kitchen of the home at approximately 8 p.m. on June 15th, and that at approximately 9 p.m. he found her missing. Vincent stated that, at this point, he assumed Doreen had run away to her mother's house, and he took no action. Vincent later stated that he realized Doreen was missing because he found the front door to the house wide open and he then went and checked Doreen's bedroom and saw she was not there. Vincent reported to the police that Doreen had run away and that she had taken the following items. A burgundy wallet with Velcro closing, a blue denim purse with a strip of embroidery, a silver-colored tape player, and a microphone, many clothes, a canvas duffel bag, pinkish-purple in color, and she was wearing high-top sneakers, tan shorts, an unknown top, and a denim jacket. Whirlwind Hill Road is an isolated rural road which runs east and west. It connects with East Center Street at its eastern end, approximately three-fourths of a mile east of 1316. It is approximately two and a half miles to the nearest pay telephone, which is on East Center Street. The area is generally surrounded by open fields bordered by wooded areas. Three. That, according to Mark Vincent, the reason he did not go out and try to immediately find Doreen upon finding her missing was that he thought her mother, Donna Jones, had come to get her. 4. That, according to Donna Jones, she did not know where Vincent had moved or that he even had moved from their previous address in Bridgeport. She did not find out until June 16, 1988, when she tried to call Doreen at their Bridgeport address. Mark had never told her they moved, and he was aware that Donna did not know where they lived. Further, that on at least three previous occasions while living in Bridgeport, Doreen had failed to return home and, on each occasion, had gone to her mother's home. Donna Jones would immediately call Mark Vincent and tell him this. 5. 
that when interviewed in depth, Mark Vincent could not give an accounting of the events that occurred on June 15, 1988, after Sharon left the house and when she returned later that night. 6. According to Sharon Vincent, Doreen could not have left through the front door. She stated when she left on June 15, 1988 at 6.15 p.m., the front door was locked and a key was needed to operate the deadbolt lock securing the door. She stated she had one key with her and Mark had the other key on his person and Doreen had no way to open the door. Further, when she returned home on June 15th, the front door was shut and locked, the same as it was when she left. 7. On June 19, 1988, in the evening, Donna Jones called Mark Vincent at Whirlwind Hill Road. Mark told Donna that he had been at Bridgeport all day looking for Doreen. Donna then related that she knew this wasn't true as her parents had called Whirlwind Hill Road earlier in the day and had spoken to Mark there. Further, on June 19, 1988, Mark Vincent went to visit an old family friend, Georgia Lewis, at her home in West Reading. During this visit, he never mentioned that Doreen was missing. He also visited his mother on June 19, 1988, and again, never told her that Doreen was missing. Both Lewis and Mrs. Vincent learned that Doreen was missing when Donna Jones called them to see if they had seen her. 8. That when Sharon moved out of 1316 Whirlwind Hill Road in 1989, Donna Jones took possession of Doreen's bedroom set, which included four curtains, a canopy bed, a dresser, pillows, and a cloth bed canopy. When she asked Sharon where the matching bedspread was, Sharon told Donna that Mark threw it out because Doreen had messed it up. Further, Mark told the undersigned that Doreen had messed up the bedspread and that he did throw it out. 9. Up to mid-July 1989, all of Doreen Vincent's known friends and acquaintances were interviewed and re-interviewed relative to Doreen's disappearance. None had heard from her since school got out in early June of 1988. Ten. On July 8, 1989, Sharon Vincent, while being re-interviewed, stated she had in her possession school papers, clothing, and personal effects of Doreen Vincent. However, when asked for them, she refused to turn them over to the undersigned. She said she would check with Mark Vincent first. On July 10, 1989, search and seizure warrants were signed, authorizing the undersigned to seize any and all of Doreen Vincent's personal items from Sharon Vincent's home. Now in Danbury, in her brother's home, now in Newtown, Connecticut, Prior to presenting Sharon with the search warrant, the undersigned asked her if the undersigned could have Doreen's personal effects. Sharon refused to give them to the undersigned. At this point, she was served with both search warrants and surrendered Doreen's personal effects. On July 11, 1989, the personal effects were inventoried. Among the many items recovered were the following items, which Doreen was reported to have taken with her when she ran away. Burgundy wallet with Velcro closing, a purple wristwatch with a broken strap, a purplish-pinkish duffel-type canvas bag, one pair of tan shorts, a denim jacket. Further, Sharon Vincent later stated that she did, in fact, have the tape player and the microphone and forgot to turn them over to the undersigned. 13. During an interview with Mark Vincent on July 17, 1989, and during a phone conversation with him on July 16, 1989, he told the undersigned that he does have a temper and he loses it occasionally. Further, Sometime on or just prior to June 15, 1988, he became angry with Doreen and began paddling her when she was in her room. 
During this incident, which occurred in the afternoon, there was so much screaming and yelling going on, Sharon Vincent took the two small children out of the house and into the backyard so they wouldn't have to listen to it. Further, Mark Vincent had told private investigator Richard Novia in July of 1988 that during an argument with Doreen, he had pushed her, causing her to back into a bedroom window, breaking same. This occurred on or about June 15, 1988. 14. During the previous 14 months of investigations surrounding the disappearance of Doreen Vincent, sightings of Vincent were reported to this department. On many of these occasions, the person believed to be Doreen Vincent was identified as being someone else. None of the sightings were made by people who knew Doreen. The reports were based on missing persons flyers. 15. That Mark Vincent moved away from 1316 Whirlwind Hill Road in November of 1988 and left no forwarding address with the police department. In fact, he told a Roseanne Poloni, who he moved in with, that he didn't want anybody to know where he was. That neither Sharon Vincent, Donna Jones, nor investigators with the police department had any way to contact Vincent. The whereabouts of Vincent were only discovered in June of 1989, following a domestic disturbance between himself and Roseanne Poloni. It was only during this disturbance, reported to the Wallingford Police Department by Poloni, that the undersigned were able to locate Mark Vincent, who had been living with Poloni in Wallingford since November of 1988. Further, a previous investigator assigned to the missing person case, Detective Peter Cameron, had left messages with Vincent's mother for Vincent to call him to be interviewed regarding this case, but Vincent never came to headquarters. When Vincent was asked why he made himself so unavailable, especially in light of the fact that his daughter was missing, Vincent said he did not want Sharon Vincent, who is now his estranged wife, calling him. Sixteen, that Mark Vincent has told the undersigned, as well as private investigator Richard Novia and Donna Jones that he had taken photographs of Doreen Vincent while she posed in her underwear. He had told Novia that there was, in fact, film in the camera, and that these photos were taken in the weeks preceding her disappearance. That Roseanne Poloni had stated that Mark Vincent, while he lived with her, was always taking photographs. However, she never saw any of these, and she had searched his personal effects while he was not around and never found them. Eighteen that Mark Vincent has stated to the undersigned that he no longer has any personal effects of Doreen's. A search and seizure warrant was issued for Vincent's pickup truck in connection with Doreen's disappearance, and a jersey was recovered in the truck that was similar in size and style to the clothing of Doreen's, seized under previous search and seizure warrants. 19. That Mark Vincent has given investigators only vague and contradictory information regarding the disappearance of his daughter, and, in fact, attempted to hide the disappearance of his daughter from friends, family, and law enforcement agencies, until confronted to do so by Donna Jones three days after Doreen disappeared. 20 that no personal or medical records of Doreen have been recovered, that Doreen's mother, Donna Jones, consented to a search of her apartment on July 5th, 1989, and turned over papers, furniture, magazines, and furnishings belonging to Doreen to the undersigned. 21. 
that Mark Vincent has been living at his mother's home on Marywood Road, an unimproved road off of Sunset Hill Road in Bethel, that homes on Marywood Road have Sunset Hill addresses, that Vincent was, in fact, living at the house on July 14, 1989, when the undersigned seized his truck on that date, and had been living at that residence for several weeks prior to that date. 22 that it would be of material value to the investigation of the disappearance of Doreen Vincent to obtain personal articles of hers, which may contain hair samples, fingerprints, handwriting samples, or medical records, which may identify Doreen if she is located. Further personal artifacts, such as letters, notes, etc., may contain information leading to a disposition as to what happened to Doreen Vincent. 23 that several articles reported to be missing with Dorian Vincent by her father, Mark Vincent, have been located in the possession of Sharon Vincent. Further, these items were not turned over to the undersigned until a search and seizure warrant was issued. 24. That Sharon Vincent stated that after Dorian's disappearance, she found several letters Dorian had written to her friends but had not mailed. These have never been recovered. That based on information contained herein, the undersigned have reason to believe that personal papers, artifacts, photographs, and clothing of Dorian Vincent are in the residence of Mark Vincent and request a search and seizure warrant be issued for his residence. And the undersigned are Detective Thomas Hanley and Detective Robert Fliss, July 31st, 1989. Now, just after that in this document is the affidavit requesting dispensation with requirement of delivery. And a few pages later is the inventory of what was seized from Mark's mother's house. One birth certificate of Doreen Jane Vincent. Two photographs of Doreen Jane Vincent. One Rossi 38 revolver, serial number D814936, and 40 rounds of ammunition, and one receipt for the Rossi revolver. Now, towards the end of the document, it seems that the numbered items in the warrant have been edited or rearranged. 10. That upon checking the Silver City gun shop, it was confirmed that in the summer of 1988, the revolver in question, a Rossi 38 revolver, serial number D814936, was in fact purchased. 11. That Mark Vincent, in an interview conducted on July 17, 1989, stated that he did, in fact, buy a gun. That, I don't have a gun on my person or in my car, but you can have a gun at home. 12. That Mark Vincent has been convicted of felonies prior to this date, including larceny second degree, a Class C felony, and two counts of burglary, Class D felonies. This is according to the affidavit, which does also include the arson. And at the end, it states that based on the information contained herein, the undersigned have reason to believe that the revolver mentioned in paragraph 10 herein is located in the residence of Mark Vincent and does constitute evidence of the offense of criminal possession of a revolver and request a search and seizure warrant be issued for his residence. So there we have the details of the search and seizure warrant involving the gun. I want to remind you that there are a few things detailed in the warrant that are inaccurate. The most pressing is the time that is stated as when Donna showed up to 1316 Whirlwind Hill Road on June 18th. The warrant states that she arrived in the evening at approximately 7 p.m. However, that is untrue because Donna and her sister Carol 
arrived in the morning, where they found Mark sunning himself, working on the lawnmower, and laying cement for the porch. And another inaccuracy is that although the warrant does not actually use the term ran away, it states that on three occasions, Doreen failed to come home to her father's apartment in Bridgeport and went to her mother's house instead. This happened once. And in addition to all of that, Sharon Vincent's actions throughout this whole ordeal are troubling, especially taking the possessions that Doreen was reported to have left with and keeping them at her house and refusing to give them up until she was served with a warrant. We'll have more on the arrest for the gun and the events that followed in our next episode. We will also dissect the items listed in this warrant and see how they match up against the timeline of events that led up to Doreen's disappearance. Until then, you can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fadedoutpodcast. There's also a closed group that you can request to join called Followers of Faded Out. You can also follow us on Instagram as Faded Out Podcast. And to reach us directly, you can email us at fadedoutpodcast at gmail.com. And please feel free to also become a patron on Patreon. Thank you for joining me for episode six of season two. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time. Faded Out is written, hosted, and edited by me. Voiceover provided by Maxwell McGee. Mark Vincent was portrayed by Daniel Brownstein. Background research by Jessica Fritz Aguirre. Produced by Joe Aguirre and Jason Panette of Clovercrest Media Group. Visit clovercrestmedia.com for more on Faded Out, as well as other great original podcasts. Subscribe to Faded Out on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. <laughs>